Citizen Reporter number 390, 12th of September, 2011. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. But anything that is a dual-use technology, whether it's dual-use in keeping your economy running or dual-use in allowing people to have sort of silly and fun uses for it, that's a much harder technology to take offline in the case of an act. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of CitizenReporter.org. Uh, today, I'm doing a slightly different program. I know I say that very often to try and set each episode apart from the other, but today is a little bit different. Today is a conversation as opposed to a an interview where we grill a guest, because um, you know I'm famous for, for grilling guests. And today we're talking about Angola, a topic that has never come up on my podcast, shamefully, uh, and it's about time, and it's certainly an important time in that country to help me talk about Angola and really to lay things out from how things are today to what is going to be happening and what is happening. Um, I have a guest. Uh, uh, I can use your real name, right? Guest? Go ahead. Please All right. I, I have Janet Gunther on the line from London, I think. Uh, or she wants you to believe she's in London, so that's good enough. Uh, welcome to the program, Janet. Thank you. <laughs> now, Janet, you, you just told me that you're not a journalist, but I'm going to introduce the audience, uh, you to the audience as a concerned world citizen, a blogger, including on the very respected uh, site Global Voices Online. Um, you're Lusophone, uh, which means Portuguese speaking for the people who don't know this. And you definitely, judging by your content that you write and what you tweet, you keep an eye out on the Lusophone world. That includes uh, where you once lived, I believe, East Timor. Uh, that includes Brazil, Angola, Mozambique, and Portugal occasionally, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's part of why I wanted you on this program. It's because we... Maybe it's a little bit difficult. I don't know. You tell me to find Angola experts. I'm actually going to set off doing that after this podcast. But, but you tell me. I mean, do you have a good amount of... Who do you look to for news about Angola? Wow. Um, to be honest, um, Angola is one of those things that I just kind of... I I come to when, when I hear little noises, but I don't follow Angola. It's not kind of on my... shall I say? Like my, my, my usual trawling of the internet. So, I mean, I know the... I know in Mozambique, the well, we like to use the word blogosphere, but the blogs that exist are actually quite limited, and I feel I have a grasp of what there is. Whereas um, in Angola, there's a lot, or in also with the Angolan diaspora, there's quite a lot of web content. There's a lot of stuff up there that, to be honest, I'm not entirely caught up on. Um, one of the things I've noticed with Angola, and it's the same with Mozambique, is that um, a lot of the most kind of political and... Um, I guess kind of up-to-date uses of social media and um, the internet are coming from uh, like hip-hoppers and music producers. Um, so, you know, and that's a whole other scene, you know, in and of itself. So it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to just, being someone who's not 
really linked into Angola, it's quite hard to um, just to dip in. So it's, yeah. that answers. Yeah, over the years, the the sites that I watch for news out of Angola, especially the the individual uh, blogs, are mostly written by expats, Portuguese or otherwise, who are working there. And it's not for lack of looking, because um, they. I, I guess maybe it's because I'm also looking often in English, although not limited to that. But it's difficult. Um, Let's set it up. I mean, we're talking about a country, uh, a former Portuguese colony. It's a massive country. For those who don't know, I'm starting real elementary. Um, land-wise, it's, it's very large and very wealthy. And we're talking about only 18 million people, which I say only because it's very few people for such a big place. Yeah. Um, yes. And perhaps the most important thing these days is that <laughs> they're living with a government, a president, who has been in power for 32 years. Mm. Yes, Zedu, as he's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, it's. I mean, well, Angola. I know Mozambique better, but it has certain things in common. You know, it's come out of um, uh, a long conflict. Um, we lived through an era, yeah, where the Cold War was also being played out in in the country. Um, and you have a leadership that um, used to be, I suppose. Um, used to be socialist, um, but now has just, uh, well, quite eagerly adopted, um, you know, mark- the markets, the world markets and kind of market thinking. Um, so it's one of those, I know in Mozambique, and I'm sure this is the case in Luanda, I've never, I've never been to Angola, but, you know, you have all these names on the streets of, you know, kind of liberation and socialist heroes, um, mm-hmm. street names, and yet <laughs> you live in a place where... Um, where you know it's just basically rampant capitalism like everyone's everyone's look, looking looking yeah. to make a buck yeah. so yeah they they are the the second largest oil producers on the continent of Africa second to Nigeria and i mean this puts them in an extremely important position this brings a lot of money and in many ways watching the country over the years it is also a curse uh because of the corruption that it invites and and because of yeah. where money goes and doesn't go I mean, I know in the case, yeah, definitely in the case of um, Angola, one of the um, one of the biggest things was just the, the lack of transparency around the money that's coming in, and um, yeah, a lot of the um, there are also regional issues in relation to the oil wealth. I mean, the oil wealth is is um, is coming mostly from um, fields that are off of an, an enclave, which mm-hmm. is um, called Cabinda, and it's kind of one of those like colonial flukes, you know, this area of land that's actually separated from the rest of the territory and you know there's there's a whole host of issues around that whether people of Cabinda are getting their fair share and yeah so the and and when um the first kind of investigative reports came out about how much you know they may the government actually may be taking in 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 oil revenues and then you know comparing that obviously to what the government actually spends in its state budget um raised all kinds of questions obviously around where is that money going um i don't i don't remember the exact date but i remember you know this campaigning group called global witness um you know came up with a figure it must have been four or five billion dollars that um you know that they're making in revenue and um, not. It didn't really measure up with what uh, the the state appears to be spending. Right. So yeah, yeah. Pe- people. I mean, in terms of income, they live on very little. It's one of those countries where you'll you'll hear the statistics like the two dollars a day type statistic that each person lives on. Um, Luanda itself, although I guess this is more of a, a 
an expat observation that I've heard over the last few years, one of the most expensive cities in the world, uh, which is bizarre. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a city where, you know, I always say this, but like where there's a, there's actually a Gucci, an official Gucci store. Um, <laughs> and yet you have cholera outbreaks. Um, and you know, how many cities, how many cities are like that in the world? Um, yeah. it's just the contrast must be incredible. Yeah. Um, and so the, I want to get into the government a little bit, especially with what's been happening this month. Um, we mentioned the 32 years of, uh, what's his nickname? Dursantos' nickname? <laughs> Zedu. Zedu. All right. I've never yeah. used that nickname before, but I'll give it a shot. Josue, Jose Eduardo dos Santos. Dos Santos, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, that name I know since I was very young. Uh, I mean, in my house, uh, before we go on, in my house as a Portuguese-American, we talk about Angola. It might seem odd, but we do. Uh, maybe it's an old colonial thing, which is maybe ridiculous, but we, uh, f- I don't know, we feel a sort of bond with, s- to some extent, with what happens there. I don't want to exaggerate it. We don't, we don't help much. All we do is talk. Um, but so, as a kid, I always uh, know of, um, I definitely know of things happening in Angola, and especially the when there was revolution in Portugal in 74, I um, wasn't alive, but the music that came out of that era, um, especially Zac Alfonso, had a lot of lyrics regarding Angola, and so I would memorize these lyrics and then get curious about what I'm singing. Um, <laughs> well, also just to say that a lot of um, my Portuguese friends um, have family who spent time in Angola. Um, Angola was the colony, um, well, it was used both as a penal and kind of a settler colony as well. I think it was kind of the, yeah, Portuguese, um, especially the Estado Novo also, like, uh invested in Angola. It was kind of their frontier in a way. It was a place of economic opportunity even then. And so that's why some of these conversations around, oh, you know, the the Portuguese returning to Angola for, you know, with this gold rush or this oil rush are are um are quite interesting because it's it's really kind of cyclical almost, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were taught I went to school in Lisbon for a little while, university, and we were taught about the I believe it was called the the triangle, the slavery triangle was something like Portugal in the north, Angola to the southeast, and then Brazil in the southwest. And there was this, that was the path of uh, slave trade. Um, And you just mentioned something interesting, which we'll probably get back to, although, um, you know, it's just a few articles coming out that people in Portugal, as we all know, economic times very bad, that some are finding work uh, in Angola and, and going off there, which is something we haven't heard of. Uh, yeah. in, this, in our lifetime, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, estimates of over 96,000, well, I, that, I believe those are the official numbers, over 96,000 Portuguese nationals resident in Angola, and I think that number comes from, if I'm not mistaken, 2009, um, and yeah. so it can only have grown really rapidly. Yeah, I remember teaching uh, Portuguese and Angolan people in Lisbon, I was an English teacher, and uh, many of them were on vacation or visiting family, and their jobs were on oil rigs or in the oil sector in Angola. Uh, wow. And there I was just for a month or a c- couple of months teaching them English, which was weird. Wow. Well, actually, also just to say, as, a, as an aside, I live in Brixton, uh, which is, well, Brixton Stockwell area is one of the most kind of uh, iconic Portuguese neighborhoods in London. And there's definitely heaps of Angolans here. Um, I hear I hear Angolans um, at the bus stop. And hmm. so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get it back into the politics a little bit because Absolutely. it matters so much. Um, you know, you have this situation 
in Angola with the so the ruling party is the MPLA. And what's strange about this is that the MPLA in in revolutionary times and in, in independence uh the days of independence was the party that said no more colonialism and i think a lot of people not only in angola but around the world supported such an idea of course uh enough with the colonialism mpla you know this is independence you go from those days and of course years pass things change it becomes among other things uh this force that's fighting in a civil war against these other groups unita and fnla um as the government army and but as events would unfold they win technically if we want to say winners in war uh and in 2002 i remember very well uh you know unita's leader dies jonas avimbi and so suddenly the mpla goes from independence party to civil war uh, uh you know governing party and now it's just the one party mm. in government and it reminds me well it's one of these cases i'm not going to start pointing to other countries where the once heroic dem democratic you mentioned even socialist uh party becomes something else but still relies on its old image as you know we're the guys who brought you here yeah, I mean, you even, I mean, the, the, like I said, the, you know, the ir ironies are, are, are so abundant. I mean, the symbols are the same, um, you know, uh, yeah, and it's interesting, you know, everyone talks about China and Angola, but, you know, you do, you have that feeling that, well, I mean, the, the Angolan leadership and the Chinese leadership must understand each other quite well in some way. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. On the other hand, though, I mean, you just, I think also t sometimes it's easy because, I mean, I, I definitely grew up towards the end of the Cold War, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to, um, to also, uh, well, kind of discount the importance of kind of, of these, these revolutionary, uh, kind of liberation parties, because I think, um, look at, look at, try, let's try to remember what the context was. I mean, you had, um, a very aggressive, apartheid government in South Africa, you mm -hmm. had um, a really complex global uh, scenario playing itself out. And, you know, these parties, in some sense, they cre they did create the nation, like they def they kind of defended the idea of those nation states. Um, and that's why in Mozambique, also, I look at, um, I look at the ruling party, and I think we'll have major problems with, um, with a lot of what goes on there. But what else is you know like but what else is there there's kind of there's always that lingering question and mm. i think probably the same question um would you know would come up in angola where you have you you i mean you need unita has reconstituted itself as a political party right right um i believe you have this other s small group and this i'm not going to be your political pundit here <laughs> i can't i can't entirely lay out the scenario but you have the um bloco democratico i think they call themselves mm -hmm. um and but and yet they seem they i mean it's hard for people to probably imagine them as 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 government as a government you know what i mean it's it's this it's hard to push beyond that um just the power of those ruling parties and, and to imagine a different a different sovereign and strong government that's not them if you see what i mean um yeah Yes, uh, I understand what you're saying. And also just, you know, not to discount the importance of what they did. I, I, I get it. I mean, we see that in other countries as well, where people still say, look, this governing party, it's not, it's not the greatest anymore, but we don't forget what they did, and it's hard to imagine going with anyone else. Um, still, though, this leaves me with a big feeling of that's not good enough. 
Um, no, no. Uh, recent events definitely have us calling that into question, don't they? Right. So September 3rd of this month, um, there was a, a demonstration. I mean, and by international standards, not huge. But, I mean, you, what do you think? I mean, 200 people in Angola, for, and to, for it to make news as well, it's significant. Yeah, I mean, I just just to say that, as I said, I'm not going to be a very useful political pundit here, but I've been following almost from like the citizen media side of things sure. um, since earlier this year when when there was um, following the Arab Spring, there was a little bit of noise coming up, you know, bubbling up um, from Angola, um, a kind of anonymous Facebook group, or is it a blog? It was a blog first, I believe, and then maybe some activity on Facebook, and then um, a kind of a, basically a, f a, f a failed protest. Um, which we reported on Global Voices, um, my, my colleague um, in Luanda reported on. Um, and, you know, the government kind of was able to maneuver and, and kind of basically undermine any organization, I, I believe, in March. And then in May, there was... Um, the first, yeah, the first protest that seemed like a protest were more or less the same number of people, from what I can tell, joined in the Independence Square. Um, and... Yeah, and they were there are a couple really good videos that came from that. Um, so most of what I know is what I've what I've seen on YouTube. Um, and then this one again, planned by the same group, um, but this one was very interesting in the sense that uh, the there was a, a video kind of invitation or a call to the protest. And in that one, in that video, um, people really showed their faces. They. Um, Deramakara, you know, they, they put their faces on the video and their names, and um, it was, I have to say, I think in that context, it must have been uh, kind of a real act of, um, well, of bravery and kind of, and a loss of fear in a sense. And I think, I, what I, this is just my analysis looking from, you know, as someone who really, I, I just feel a bit awkward analyzing the situation because I've never lived in Angola. Um, but it does seem like there's a gradual feeling of of losing fear, and mm. um, you know people were beaten up, people were arrested. Um, but it does feel like there's a committed group of people that are not scared to be disappeared or arrested or beat up anymore. Yes, um, even even with I mean reports that that some of the people involved uh, in this. Uh, online organizing for the eventual protest. Some one apparently was quote disappeared uh, by police, and there is always that risk in a country where the government has a lot of control, um, which makes me curious. And I, I don't know how much you know about this. I know you have, you know, colleagues that you don't speak to regularly, but you may have some contact with in uh, Luanda, and I do wonder like how how careful they have to be with, for example, writing on the internet. Um, or being referred to, or showing their face, as you just mentioned, people who, who did. Yeah, um, I, you know, it's interesting, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to um, go into too much detail about this, because I just, it's kind of these, yeah, private in terms of what people want to share with us, and how, you know, and, yeah. and what people are writing. Um, uh, but I, th I think there's a kind of, hmm, there, there's a level of caution um, in relation to publishing, in other words, yeah, attaching your name to something. Um, I don't think there's so much, and I'm, I'm at least I'm slightly encouraged. I hope I hope it's with good reason that there's not so much caution about like just emailing, be in contact. Um, you know, I think I, I would think that people know that they're, they're probably being monitored, but I 
it hasn't had a chilling effect on personal communication if that's what you're that's yeah. what you're asking um, but people are I would say people are quite cautious um, in putting their name if you look at Club uh, Kappa which is that it is a site where um, it's kind of for the Angolan diaspora um, when they publish articles they're usually these really long threads um, and it's really quite funny some of the comments and just um, people um, you know don't don't spare the regime anything there but a lot but most of those people are, are being are commenting anonymously um but you know that that in and of itself is something because when I compare with some other places that I've I've been, um, you don't even really have that. The chilling effect can be so great that people won't even um, make anonymous comments. So, uh, so that that maybe maybe that's something I don't know, or, or whether that just reflects kind of a big um, difference between the diaspora and people that live in Angola. I also don't know. One of the things I noticed with the videos. Um, is that most? I mean, uh, the video one of the, the one of the two ma- big videos from September third uh, had about seven thousand hits last time I looked, mm-hmm. and almost you know how on YouTube you can look and see where the hits are coming from, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of those hits are from within Angola, which is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so that question of how much are people using the internet for for getting their information? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because I did notice, uh, I was trying to look up, which is sort of a slow and, and not very rewarding process, but looking up information about the Angolan, uh, uh, I'll call them secret police, it's not the exact translation, um, but they um, they only a few years ago, uh, a few articles came out that they were interested in acquiring uh, technology to intercept and monitor uh, communication. So basically, they wanted to get into spying using or email or chat and it was like 2008 or 9 that they were looking to get some of this equipment so it does give me the feeling that uh, you could still do a lot of things online but the authorities are right behind you just a few steps behind so well, yeah i'm not so sure how far behind actually and i was just reading a voice of america um article from earlier this year about a law uh which they appear to have passed which which grants authorities pretty wide powers to um to well to uh basically interfere in the internet um without uh, warrants and also it's it also kind of prohibits um certain use of of the internet for certain purposes so even for like i can't remember the wording but it's something around you know kind of uh well unauthorized um media and you know that so it that I believe, I believe that law passed. I'm, I'm still researching this, um, yeah. and I hope to be writing about this for, for Global Voices Advocacy. Um, but it does seem like the, even within well within its own uh, legal framework, it has the state has quite a bit of power to to uh, to interfere and to regulate or yeah. <laughs> um, uses of the internet. So. Um, but I haven't haven't found too much about that actually. It's kind of interesting how 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 little there is actually on that. Another sure. interesting thing was um, I was just reading about the website that the um, I believe the secret uh, secret services or intelligence services called Cisne, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of funny because it means like swan. I just right. sorry. Right. right. <laughs> the, um, and they had, you know, they had this fanfare about a new website that had been launched. And um, when I clicked through to the website, and this is only a couple months ago, when I clicked through now, it's um, the domain is no longer being used. So I guess right. that 
that website isn't being used either. No, right. The, the, yeah, I had some trouble finding their official site. Or actually, it didn't happen because the domain has gone somewhere else. Exactly. Uh, yes, yeah. And, and so the question becomes, and we don't know this answer, but, you know, will we see more of these demonstrations uh, in the coming year? Elections are slated for next year. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not the kind of election where anyone expects anything big to change. Um, what we do know is, well, no, actually, this is not for sure yet, but it's rumored heavily <laughs> that um, that uh, Dos Santos will not run again, that he may step down. But if he does, they're already declaring the uh, one of the big um, oil, uh, the owner of the state-owned oil company, uh, will will perhaps replace him. So the state oil company, yeah. Sona, yeah, Sonangol EP. Yeah. Oh, the state-owned oil company. Um, his name is Manuel Vincent, and you know, there's just no. Clearly, not much will change, even if the name uh, may change. I mean, certainly, 32 years uh, as the president, it'd be nice to have somebody new. But uh, if it's just somebody from the same party same logic same way of running a country it's not clear that too much would change well also just looking at um looking at mozambique you know there are lots of um yeah well uh rumors about the head of state there and and how um how gibuzo will kind of um maintain power if if he if he can't if he can't run for another term and they're talking about changes to the constitution and um, and of course, one of the theories, I think, widely held theories there, that he's going to, what I say, like pull up Putin. So he's going to kind of, you know, um, re- remain in power by basically shifting the the center of political power. I don't, I don't know how it would work in um, in Angola, but I'm pretty sure that the DeSantis family will, will will remain pretty influential no matter who's the head of state. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So we may see more protests. I mean. Uh, a lot of people, I think, are inspired. You know, the, the the other longest or longer, the only longer serving leader in Africa was Gaddafi. Uh, so not, I know that the media is often looking and going, when is the next and what is the next and comparisons that are a little unreasonable and unlikely. But it's uh, kind of interesting to some extent to say, all right, Gaddafi down. <laughs> Well, there's a, Next. you know, they were, the protesters were using in one of the posters that I saw, it was a really quite amazing image. Um, you had um, Gaddafi on one side, uh, Mubarak on the other, and they were kind of having a laugh with Zedou in the middle. And uh, that that image is just really, really oh, incredible. It was a real powerful. image, not, not photoshopped. <laughs> no, oh. no, it's just really incredible image. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of kind of over-enthusiasm about this whole idea that the Arab Spring is going to spread to sub-Saharan Africa. I, think, I, don't, I don't necessarily um, buy into that way of thinking. I do think that, the, that social media and... Um, uh, especially in these countries where the state media controls uh, what, what what information people have, social media has played a really important role, even in just having in informing people what, what's been happening um, in Northern Africa. Uh, however, I think we need to also just be a little bit cautious about even just thinking about um, what it is that Sub-Saharan African peoples are willing to like how much they're willing to rock the boat, how much they're willing to potentially enter into a conflict scenario. Um, because, you know, what we see in Libya is it, it was a war. Um, and I just don't think we can underestimate, like, how especially the people of Angola and, and also, but I probably, the same goes in Mozambique. I mean, they've lived through um, conflict 
um, so much conflict, and I can't help but think that people are extremely um, risk averse now. And in, in in the in you know, they just want some time to be able to um, you know to to be at peace. Um, and I, I I think that the 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 ruling parties and the the um, the leaders of these countries definitely take advantage of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, and and just like we've seen, it it happens over and over again, and it will continue to happen regardless of what country we look at. Um, even now, today, as I was searching through any recent news articles regarding Angola all over the internet, you see plenty of statements from everything from U.S. Uh, State Department or, or U.S. government to uh, President of Liberia, so Ellen Johnson, uh, who's, who's supposed to be quite a, a, a great person, good politician, and so on, all complimenting Dusantuj and saying they want to improve relations with Angola. My point here is, as usual, just like probably the day before Gaddafi uh, lost control of the country, um, we have governments all over the world, democratic uh, for the most part, saying uh, this guy's good. We can do business with this man. Um, yeah. So so that continues, even in this case with Angola. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it, what strikes me, though, about all of this is um, I just... Uh, well, if, if you saw some of the footage of um, how these civilian thugs attacked um, one of the foreign journalists... Um, who had actually just happened upon the rally? He later said that he's he was there to do cultural reporting, and he wasn't even there for politics. But he, there was footage of him getting roughed up, getting beat up, and getting robbed by these civilians who clearly were, you know, uh, had some connection to the the government. Um, and you just think, well, but what's the even just from a pragmatic perspective, and um, what's you just wonder why can't sometimes these autocratic rulers see that they don't they, there's no need for that you know mm-hmm. that in fact you know yeah dos santos is our man right so it it doesn't really matter how many people are protesting on some level um and it, for that protest to really spread you know to really become the kind of what we've seen in north africa uh, i just i think it would take a lot um and, I, and you know, and there's this feedback effect that if you repress it, you might actually make it bigger. So I just, it's it is kind of curious, isn't it, how these autocratic they, <laughs> regimes and rulers they just can't seem to learn from mm-hmm. the others. There's only one playbook, and it's an old one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> True. Yeah. The video you mentioned, I think it's included, and I'll I'll put a physical link to it, but I'll mention it. Uh, it's in your Global Voices uh, post, right, from September fourth. I'm just thinking. Uh, there's there's a few videos included in there, so I'll, I'll link yeah. to that post because you put an array, including um, several from the streets. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just blanking, but I'm. No, I no. think there. Yeah, I think there is some video footage. Um, maybe yeah. I'm just making that up. <laughs> no, 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 there's yeah. several videos. I'm looking at them now. Yeah. So I'll okay. include that in the post that goes along with this audio file, so people can watch for themselves. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to start this discussion a bit. I wonder who else I can get in the coming uh, in the coming weeks to continue the conversation instead of stopping it here. Uh, but you know, the the focus could be and should be uh, Angola, uh, even if change seems quite far away. Talk about it now uh, in hopes that things improve in any way they can. Well, I also just think I, I think Angola is really interesting for the um, this issue of kind of. Um, 
well, there's an academic here in the UK that talks about the catalytic classes, the kind of the, um, the, the what happens when you when you get that kind of that middle class that those people that kind of that have enough have enough uh, materially, but they're frustrated. You know, it's like they they want. They want something more. It's not enough just to um, to make a little bit of money to send your kids to university. It's it's that you know you do start wanting more. And I'm just I think that Angola is quite interesting. Um, well, an interesting case in that regard because you look at you know the, who are behind. So who are the people who showed their faces on that video? I mean, so many of them, like I said, are associated with music, with um, with hip hop or um, some music producers or they're kind of cultural. Um, I guess cultural elites, you could call. I don't know. Elite. I don't like the word elite there, but um, they stand out more than others. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah, and I think well, in, in and that is really interesting. So is it you know, well, first of all, especially be, we're both from the U.S., where you know hip hop has just become a commercial machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to see hip hop as this um, yeah, potential catalytic yeah. also influence. I've been I've been watching uh, Emmanuel Jal. I don't know if you pay much mm-hmm. attention to him, but in yeah. uh, in South Sudan, I mean, he's uh, probably the mo- most famous person, more so than the president, whoever he is at this point, the new country, yeah. Yeah. or or Dikembe Mutombo, the other most famous person from yeah, South yeah. Sudan. Yeah, yeah, he's he's quite a. I've seen him live. Yeah, he's also quite a quite a character, and he he really you're right. He's kind of the ambassador almost for yeah. for, for a country that's only existed for a few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Absolutely. All right, all right, Janet. Well, I mean, I think that we, uh, you know, laid down a little bit the the state of things. And for anyone who's listening who says, "Hey, wait a minute, I know more about Angola." Well, you're more than welcome to uh, contact us, me, uh, in the comments on the podcast or directly via email. Those things are all available on citizenreporter.org. And and if you're really uh, informed or interested, you can come on the podcast. But I am very thankful that Janet, you could join me, and we could uh, we could do it this way. Thanks, and just a quick, quick plug for Global Voices. Um, if yeah. you'd like to leave a comment or watch some of those videos, also um, we're, we, on our coverage of Angola, um, please do. Thanks a lot, Janet, and we'll talk again in the future, maybe about a different topic. But Angola is definitely something I, I do like talking with about um, with you. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> A beira do mar, um dongo, a beira do mar, e a alegria de quem amular, e a alegria, e a alegria de quem quer voltar, e a alegria, rolar do mar, do mar. A beira do mar, um dongo, a beira do mar, um dongo, a beira do mar, um dongo, a beira do mar, é a alegria de quem quer voltar.
é alegria de quem amula o marula o laruma um dongo à beira do mar um dongo na areia do mar um dongo 